0: My name is Paul. If you're uh, new or newish to force I'm uh, one of the staff members here. I oversee our community ministry, which means that this thing called Thank Fest that Cole described and Jen prayed about is one of the things that I look after. And so as much as I've been preparing this sermon, I've also been watching the weather, looking at the weather network and praying that the rain would hold off. And it looks good right now. The, uh, the event itself... yeah. <laughs> Must be my prayer, right? God's <laughs> just <laughs> being gracious. We hope it'll continue to hold this way. We, uh, wanted, the, the, the thing about this event, it was born out of a, 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 a vision that Angie had. Angie's my colleague down next door. A vision to really proclaim Christ in the community, proclaim Christ in the park. So on top of all the things that we're doing today that Cole described earlier, we're also bringing the worship band down, and Janessa's going to lead the worship band. And you're welcome to come join us at 3 o'clock just for a few moments of worship in the park and be part of this experience of claiming this and proclaiming Christ in the neighborhood if you have time. Francis and Plains Road. It's the little park down the hill. You'll hear us. This man here... Uh, his face is gonna come up here in a sec. His name is Anwar al-Awlaki. The New York Times ran a story on him recently. He's, a, he's an Iman, but he's a radicalized Iman who was assassinated by the US military in 2011. And his message to Western Muslims was this. They will turn on you. They will turn on you. In specific, his words were Today, with the war between Muslims and the West escalating, you cannot count on the message of solidarity you may get from a kind neighbor or a nice co-worker, or my addition, or a church sponsoring group. The West will eventually turn against its Muslim citizens. This is a shocking message for us, particularly in light of what we are in the midst of experiencing, as uh, as Jordan updated us on we welcomed a Muslim family, refugees from Syria. The Al-Shalmi family landed in Toronto, as you learned. And if al Alaki had been at that airport that day, you could almost imagine him coming alongside them and whispering in their ears, don't trust them. And he's, so really his message was to raise doubt, causing people to ask the question, do we trust love, this thing that we are seeing and experiencing, or do we listen to the message of fear? I was thinking about these things uh, the other day as I was walking through my kitchen and I heard Elizabeth reading to my kids a, uh, a biography of a, of a civil rights activist named John Perkins. And in the midst of uh, reading this story, she was, uh, she, was, as she was reading from it, she was quoting, uh, or the story was quoting Martin Luther King, who says, hatred and bitterness can never cure the disease of fear. Only love can do that. Hatred paralyzes life. Love releases it. Hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates it. As followers of Jesus, we choose and embrace. We choose to embrace and express the message of love. And love is what was shown to the Al Shemri family and what we continue to show to them as we journey with them. And as we go through this series on the message of Gifted, or the, as, as through the series called Gifted, today, amidst the, three, the last three weeks of the series, we're looking at gifts called the motivational gifts, which we looked at last week, the manifestation gifts, which we'll look at next week. Today, we're looking at what we call the ministry gifts. And if I could term them even differently, I would say the ministry gifts are like the love gifts, because they are the gifts that for us express the love of Christ in practical ways. They are the hands and feet type of gifts. The hands and feet is good because it alludes to the body metaphor. And the body metaphor, as you know, shows up in the various passages that we've been studying uh, alongside the spiritual gifts, as it did in Ephesians 4 and as it did in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, the passage we study today will also allude to the metaphor of the body. And I believe the reason Paul uses the metaphor of the body is because, as he talks about spiritual gifts is because for him, for Paul, humility is something that is important. The body metaphor helps us to remain humble because it reminds us that first, we need the diversity of the body. Uh, as we are equipped with different gifts performing different functions, And with our diversity comes the need for interdependence. That is, we need one another and our unique gifting in order to be a fully functioning body. We also see Paul stressing humility as he reminds the members of the body, that is us, he reminds us that it is through God's grace that we are gifted with certain gifts. In other words, remain humble because the gifts that you possess are in in themselves, in and of themselves, gifts. They are gifts from God. So our reading today is from Romans, Romans chapter 12, or sorry, Romans chapter 12, verses, uh, verses 3 to 9. Maybe just go back a couple of slides, Tim. For By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as it is one body, for as it is, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I referenced earlier the arrival of the El Shemri family, and of course Jordan shared about uh, their arrival as well. And if we look back, at the timeline of their arrival, we'll remember that this journey actually began in the summer of 2015. Um, Jordan was doing some summer reading, and he was uh, came across a book that whether it was a history book or a historical novel, I'm not sure, but it told it reminded him about the uh, the treatment of Canada and other Western nations of Jewish refugees post-World War II, and basically the harsh treatment, the kind of the closing of the doors type of treatment that they received after the war. And Jordan's prayer was something like, Lord, may I never be complicit in the treatment of refugees the way others were before. And Jordan shared that prayer with us, And he shared this vision then, brought it to the leadership team, and then to us as a congregation. A vision and a a message and actually a challenge to consider refugee sponsorship. In November, Jordan and I attended a workshop to learn more about this. And then in December, amidst that busy season where we are calling uh, you to giving in so many ways, we made the call to refugee sponsorship and we invited the body of Christ Jordan, really, and the leadership team invited the body of Christ into this experience and into this journey of sponsorship, which of course began with a plea to raise funds and a commitment to serve this family upon their arrival. So as we look upon the ministry gifts, as I read through that passage, a lot of different gifts were listed. We're going to camp on three of them this morning, and the first one we're going to look at is the gift of giving. Paul says, basically, the gift of giving. If you are to give, give generously. He doesn't give us a lot of instruction beyond that. If your gift is to give, give generously. Now, when it comes to giving, we like to know then how much are we supposed to give. And when you think about the sponsorship experience or initiative, we said to all of us, well, we're to give $30,000. This is what we need to raise in order to sponsor this family and support them for a year. But we didn't tell you how much. We didn't tell you how much. We didn't say each of you are to give this particular amount. In some ways, we kind of like these rules, don't we? That kind of give us a guideline so we know, well, I can give this much. I'll give this much. And we use the tithe in that way. The 10% becomes that rule for us. But Paul doesn't use the tithe. He says, if your gift is to give, the only rule he gives us is to give generously. So maybe that then leads us to ask, well, what is generous? How do we define generosity? Is there a rule to follow there that will give us some guidance? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity gives us some words to think about. And he says, really, there may not be a rule. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably given away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch, I love that English word, right? Pinch. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they, our expenditures, are too small there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charities' expenditures exclude them. Well, thank you, Mr. Lewis. <laughs> All right. How are you feeling about that? Some tough words, right? It's not about the tithe. It's about being generous. And how do we define generosity? Well, according to C.S. Lewis, his thought is that it kind of needs to hurt a little bit and that it should look different than your neighbors. And I think what he means there is that it should look different than... Than the rest of the world. It should look different than what culture says we should give. What else do we need to know about generosity then? Is that enough? Or do we need some more help? Is there some more guidance that we can find? Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 gives us a bit more guidance around this, but he doesn't give us any particular rule, once again. In 1 Corinthians 12, there's a situation where Paul is writing to the Church of Corinth, who had committed to pledge or had who had pledged to give money to the church back in Jerusalem and it sounded like they were maybe at this point kind of waffling on that and Paul had to go back to them and exhort them and encourage them and remind them of their commitment to give and he said to them each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver in other words your giving in, you're giving in generosity Paul was saying is an individual and deliberate decision that is worked out with God and stems from a heart of gratitude. So maybe on that last thought, I want to talk about this idea of giving cheerfully. Giving cheerfully might also be dependent upon giving to something that you have a particular heart for. Because Paul's saying, work it out with God and give cheerfully. And that idea of giving cheerfully, well, what does that mean? How does that feel? And one idea here is that maybe we are giving cheerfully, when we are giving towards something that we have a particular care for, that we have an intimate relationship with, that we have a connection with. Angie um, runs, the, runs the women's group at next door, and about 20 different women over the years, and it's been a growing group and various people coming and going. But last year, she had about 20 women come in and she had this idea, she had this uh, desire to give them this book, this book called Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling is like a devotional book. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book that she believed would help people lead them further into their relationship with Jesus. And she had this desire to give that to them, but the books, you know, books cost money and 20 books cost a lot of money. And so she approached someone who she knew had an intimate relationship with this ministry, who loved the ministry, and who also loved evangelism and discipleship she loved the f- this person this man loved the fact that this work was going on so she approached him to donate the money to buy these books and he did so and he did so i think and he did it cheerfully because he was so well connected to this and he loved the stories of what were going on over the year a year passes new people start to come to the group they see that some people have a book and others don't and they start asking hey are there any more books around And and she says, well, we're kind of out. And then more people started asking about the books. And so she returns to this man, to this donor, and says, could you give us some more money? We need more books. And he cheerfully responds again because of this connection he has to this ministry and because the work that is going on inspires cheerfulness. He's cheerful to give because he's encouraged by what's going on. So giving is about being generous to the point we are stretched at an amount worked out intimately with God because we love the work of the kingdom. We also want to look today at the second ministry. The second ministry gift we'll take a look at is the gift of serving. Paul's instructions are pretty simple on this one. If your gift is serving, then serve. It implies... And we have to kind of, well, what does this imply? Well, it implies faithfulness, I believe, and it implies diligence. And I believe it also implies some element of sacrifice, similarly to the gift of giving. The word serving comes from the Greek uh, diakonin, in that which literally means uh, waiting tables, and is the origins of the word deacon, which, depending on your, uh, your church background, you may be familiar with this as an office of the church. Now, Paul, when he's speaking about serving here, he may be speaking about the office of the church. We know that in the early church, people were appointed to that office, including Stephen and the other disciple, the other, I guess, disciples early on in the in the early church. We know that there's a woman named Phoebe, also mentioned in the book of Romans, who is described as a deacon or a deaconess. And Paul may be speaking about that office, people holding that office. But just as likely. Paul may be speaking to you and me on this one. He may be speaking to people who simply are called to, on an ad hoc basis, serve a particular need, or called to, on a regular basis, serve an ongoing, serve in an ongoing capacity. And he's saying to us, if you're called to serve, then serve. So the gift of serving in that sense, will look like the team of people who are going to arrive here tomorrow morning and pack up all the stuff that we collected for the Al Shemri family, load it into a trailer, take it down to the apartment at Surrey Lane, and set up that apartment that is serving. It'll also look like the team of people who've been involved with this family over the weekend and who will continue to be involved with them over the weeks and months ahead on a regular basis, making sure that this family gets the things they need, knows the things they need to know, and gets to the places where they need to get to. This is what service looks like. Service also looks like this. And I like this. And If you, uh, if you can't see that very well, you need to grab a newsletter on your way out. But this is a list of all our students. Uh, we think it's pretty comprehensive of all our students here at Forsyth who are in university. And it is inspired and is born out of uh, a desire to serve by a man named Ross Woodward. Ross is a patron saint here at Forceview, an elderly gentleman whose service is to pray for young adults at our church. Not only does he pray for them, but he, uh, every month Nancy will give him a pile of newsletters, and he'll mail these newsletters off to them so that they still feel some ongoing connection to the church. That is his act of service. Now this is a man who, in his younger days, was a missionary doctor in Angola, and so his service looked much different at that time. But recognizing his age and the limitations that come with age, he is determined that he is going to continue to serve, even though he must serve within particular particular limitations. I may have told this story about Ross before, in fact, I'm I'm sure I have, that we run a community Christmas dinner every year, and a few years ago, I went into the warehouse where all our servers, mostly youth, were taking and stacking the dirty plates. And as I poked my head in one time, there is Ross, and this is December, it's cold in there, in that unheated warehouse, scraping plates, picking up on something he didn't have a particular job to do, uh, but he found this, and he found it as a need and an opportunity to serve. He was limited in what he could do, but he could do this. And I think the question for us then is, what are our limitations? What limitations do we need to work under? And if we're not, people like Ross who are limited by age and the reality that we can't do as much as we used to do, perhaps our limitation to service is that we can do too much. And What I mean by that is that, and we've talked about this before, that we are people who live in a culture of busyness and excessive programming, and our limitation to service may be that we just simply have too much competition for our time. Personal activities, kids and family activities, work and travel, and just life, All these good things take up our time. These necessary things even, some of them, many of them, that may limit our ability to serving the body. If serving implies faithfulness and diligence, it also implies sacrifice. And so so the question may be, what areas of service are we called to exercise our gifts and what do we need to sacrifice in order to fulfill that calling? I want to say a few things about this. The first part of that question I ask is, what areas of service are we called in to exercise? To help you with that, I want to encourage you to listen to the stories. The story team here at You under Cole's direction, has been working hard to gather the stories of our community. We heard Christie's story this morning. We heard Chantel's story earlier and Amy's story earlier. Listen to these stories and allow them to resonate, allow them to inspire and encourage you and give you some sense of where it is that we are to serve and how it is that we are to serve. Listen to the stories. Don't just listen to them. Read them in the newsletter and talk to people. Talk to people and understand how they are serving and how God is equipping them to serve. It's also important for us to understand the places where you spend your time as places of service. So in other words, we spend a lot of our time in places uh, of work. And we don't want to create this sort of sacred, secular divide that says only the things that go on on Sunday morning are places where you may serve. Part of your serving is understanding the place where you are given your time and where you are spending your time The act of service is to serve within that capacity, is to serve within that place. And there's going to be some sacrifice to that even. It means that you're going to have to develop deeper relationships in those contexts and be open to God prodding you to move into places that you may not be comfortable moving into. Your serving may be in the place where you are spending your time already. Not calling you out of that, but understanding that that is a sacred place for you where God has placed you. But then there also may be the reality that we are too busy, and there are things we need to give up in order to be available to the body of Christ and the kingdom work the body is called to. So we need to consider all these things and ask God to guide us and direct us. In the same way that um, that Paul admonishes us and teaches us about giving, we need to think about the serving, that we need to be in communication with the Father and ask Him to guide us and direct us in how we are to serve. The final gift we want to look at is the gift of mercy. Of the three gifts described that we're gonna look at today, the gift of mercy is that which is mostly, is most directly related to care for the poor and the marginalized. Paul says, when you show mercy, to do it cheerfully. So again, he doesn't give us a lot to work with, and we need to understand, well, what do you mean by doing it cheerfully? And it's a tough one because we aren't always going to feel, feel cheerful when we go to serve. Or when we are called to exhibit uh, acts of mercy. Paul, yet Paul isn't asking us to simply put on a smile and kind of fake it. He would want us to do better than that. Thinking again about our refugee team. If they're not already, over the next weeks and months they're going to be exhausted as they uh, continue to exhibit mercy to this family, to this refugee family that we are serving. But yet Paul is calling them to let their love be genuine, let let the mercy that they're exhibiting to to be genuine, to be truly cheerful. The uh, let love be genuine comes in verse nine of this passage that we read. It's actually, um, the passage ends with verse eight, that piece of it, and then The next portion of it begins with the words, let love be genuine. And Eugene Peterson paraphrases that saying, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. So we don't fake it, but love from the center of who you are. Loving from the center of who you are. I preached um, back in January on on the subject of spiritual formation as something that equips us for ministry. And so I'm going to borrow something from that. A quote that I read was from Dallas Willard who says when we talk about spiritual formation we are talking about framing a progression of life in which people come to actually do all things Jesus taught we are aiming for change of the inner person where what we do originates what Willard is reminding us here is that salvation and transformation is a change of the inner person In order that we might live compassionate and merciful lives. That's what Paul is saying here. Um, When you're showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Have a transformation, allow the soul, allow your soul to be transformed in order that you might exhibit cheerfulness. It's not something that you can fake, folks. It's something that will only come out of the transformation of your soul. Something that I find important uh, in terms of my own soul work, is the practice of exhibiting, of, uh, is the practice of stillness and understanding God's presence in this stillness. And so I use this uh, online thing, you can buy the book as well. It's a thing called Sacred Space that takes you through different movements. And the first movement is always stillness and being present and allowing, being present before God, quiet and allowing that to begin the transformation as you move through prayer. This this sacred space thing will always have a reading uh, to to lead you through before you move into the the movement of stillness. And the reading uh, this past week was this, and I'm going to read it for you. Since spiritual wellness is all about being aligned with the Spirit, we should ask, what is God fired up about? I think he is most fired up by selfless love mercy, compassion, justice. God's great imagination envisions a world in which the hungry are fed, the thirsty are given drink, the sick are tended to, the homeless are sheltered, the imprisoned are visited, the naked are clothed, and the estranged estranged are welcomed. A healthy spirituality compels us to be present to people in need, offering them the possibility of seeing the presence of God, which is obstructed by the pain, in their lives. Dorothy Day, Dorothy Day, who is a Catholic uh, activist, from the, earlier in the, previous century, Dorothy Day, insisted that everything, a baptized person should do, every, everything a baptized person, should do every day, should be directly, or indirectly related, to the corporal, and spiritual works, of mercy. She knew that God's fire, could be found there. If you are looking for God, the goal of spirituality, these are the places to look, as the traditional Christian hymn, Ubi Caritas, reminds us, where charity and love prevail, their God is ever found. In closing, as we, uh, as we come together each week, we have an opportunity to find God and to experience God and to experience his presence in our worship and here at the table. And this table reminds us of our own brokenness and it reminds us of God's mercy towards us. Mercy extended to us through a life given on the cross, offering forgiveness and grace. So we invite you as people who are desiring to be formed spiritually so that you may exhibit mercy in your lives to reflect in the presence of Christ this morning and remember his grace as we share these emblems. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy extended to us and we thank you, that we have these visible visible reminders of your mercy shown on the cross through the sacrifice of your son jesus and father as we as we are gathered here today and take these things this bread and this juice and as we pass it from hand to hand may we may we be reminded of your mercy towards us and may we be more deeply formed into your image through this experience and may you speak to us and minister to us through this so that we may be people who exhibit mercy, not fake in it, but mercy that, that comes out of a truly transformed soul through the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.